It's good to see you. Let's pray. Father, we trust your Holy Spirit. We trust the Word. We trust your heart to work to make us better people. So change us today. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Sneezed. Amen. Amen. It's wonderful. Uh, today, we've, been, we've done a series on authority for three or four weeks, trying to get a balanced view of what the Scripture says. And today, we're talking about how a marriage works best. Can you repeat that with me, please? How a marriage works best. I thought we could talk husbands and wives, but us men need so much help. We're just going to work with the brothers today. Uh, you got your Bibles? Open to Ephesians chapter 6. I came to Christ in 1972. It was kind of at the beginning of the Jesus Revolution. Millions of people came to Christ, and there was a flood of Bible teaching like had never probably, probably been seen in our country. Probably 90% of it was good. But when it came to the, to the home and uh, husbands and wives, I look back now and we got some of that stuff out of balance. And so today I want to talk about the role of authority and this issue of submission, which is certainly a biblical idea. And we started the series uh, on authority with Romans 13, it starts out verse number one. Let every person, say every person, be subject to the, go to the governing authorities. And if you never learn the art of submission, you never learned to be subject, you're never going to have a good marriage, a good family, you're never going to be a good employee, you're never going to have a good company. It's just real important for all of us to understand this. Now, let's, uh, before we read the passage, let me ask some questions. Talk to the brothers. How many of you men either have or would love to have a really good marriage that you enjoy? Let's see your hands. Okay. I can take conflict and dissension Everywhere, I don't like it in my home. I want peace in my home. I want love in my home. I want encouragement in my home. I don't want to go uh, the opposite direction. So the things that we'll share from Scripture today will actually give every man in the room a blueprint on what your part should be, how to get there. But the key is, now, you kind of know what the divorce rate is. It's somewhere 40 to 50%. And it's the same for Christians. Did you know that? Christians, by and large, don't seem to have better marriages than people that don't know Christ. It's very sad. And in 50% of the people that don't get divorced are divorced in their heart. They don't enjoy each other. They're not friends. They just coexist in the same house. The trick is 
us men, I'm talking only to men today, we have to humble ourselves, realize we don't have it together, and then you got to do what the scriptures say. Don't do what I say, but do what the scriptures say. And no marriage is perfect. We've been married 43 years. We had a good first year. Every year has gotten better, but we've had times I thought, man, we're not going to make it. The devil tells you, boy, I married the wrong person. We've all, we've all heard that. And every marriage struggles at some point. But here's the key. If most of the time we marry opposites because we don't like what we are, we like what somebody else is. And if we just struggle trying to fit, the marriages that thrive are the ones that learn and the ones that adjust. If you don't learn, if you don't adjust, it's not going to be a very good thing for you. So let's read the passage together. You got your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see your Bibles. Everybody got your Bibles? Excellent. Now I'm going to start actually at Ephesians 5 verse 21. I left verse 21 out. I forgot. Most people that teach this, they leave out verse 21, which is not good. 21, be subject to who? One another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Do men love their bodies? Is that yes or no? Have you ever seen a man going, checking his waist or doing his hair? Yep. Ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. It's smart to love your wife. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but instead he nourishes it, he cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. One of the issues we have in our culture, often men do not leave their original home. They stay emotionally tied, more tied to the original home than they do to the new home they're creating. You do that, it's going to fail. This mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So here's the first command. Husbands are to love their wives. How many times does it say it? How many times? Do you know why it says it seven times? Because us men are so dense. 
and hard-headed. Seven times in the same passage, it tells us what to do. Now, here's a, here's a question. Let's see, ladies, I'm going to ask you. Are you ready to vote, ladies? Ladies, do husbands naturally love their wives? If you think they naturally love their wives, hold your hands up. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. There's about eight of you. Uh, so what, maybe nine? Okay. Okay. Uh, is this, do you think this is a trick question? That How many think they do not love their husbands naturally? Hold your hand up. Boy, you guys aren't going to answer, are you? It's just a <laughs> trick question. Here's the answer. Men do not love their wives naturally. You have this dating period where they pursue. They're like hunter-gatherers. They pursue their prey. And they smell nice, dress nice, are thoughtful, stay on the phone three hours, do all kind of nice stuff, flowers, gifts. And once he catches his prey, he puts a trophy up on the shelf. The hormonal attraction kind of dissipates somewhere between a year and a half and two years. And then men start loving their bass boats. They love boxing. They love their garden. They love collections. They love guns. They love golf. They love to work. They love money. And somewhere that way down the list, is the one they promised to love forever. So the, the scripture always speaks to tendency. This is a tendency. And us men have to think differently. We go, I can't do that. I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Now, how's it, how this flows out, if 50% marriages end in divorce and another 50% act like you're divorced, don't enjoy each other. And I'll say this, most marriages kind of start falling apart with time. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants your marriage to get better and stronger every year that you live. I had knee surgery three months ago. My wife had hip surgery about six weeks ago. It's really kind of weird. All of our life we've dated, we've gone to the movies, gone out for dinner. But the last three months, it's been so romantic. We've been, we were on walkers for two months. So we'd go to doctor's visits together, so romantic. And somebody push a little button, hold the door open. And then we'd go to the PT together. It was so wonderful, you know. People would say, I could see you guys are such lovebirds. Yeah, we smell like Ben Gay or something. <laughs> but the goal is, I don't want this marriage. I don't want our love for each other to diminish. And you have to go against the stream. You have to do certain things. Now, as a testimony, uh, my wife's not at this service, but I will just say, 43 years of marriage, and we've had our times that I thought, we're not going to make it. We need help. We married the wrong people. But to this day, I love my wife more than I ever have. 
after 43 years. I enjoy her more than I've ever enjoyed her. We enjoy sitting together. We enjoy talking together. We enjoy traveling together. At night, we will go to sleep. It is such a joy to know in my bed she's right there because she is my best friend, not because we're so compatible. Naturally, we are not compatible. We are opposites. We are opposite in everything, but we've learned to do this. That hormonal phase, where, oh, she smells so good, or oh, I love his hair, he's so muscular. You know, a lot of us guys get that Dunlap disease. You know what that is, where their massive chest Dunlaps down into their belly? <laughs> we don't look like we did when we were 25. So love is not emotions. And people come to me, young people that are getting married, why you get married? We're getting married because we're in love. I go, eh, wrong answer. Because that's going to fade in 15 months. It, for you, it may fade in three months. It's not emotions. It's words of kindness. It's deeds of kindness. First John says, let us not love with tongue and words, but let us love with deeds and truth. Love is a verb. Love is something you do. It's not something you feel. If you do the right thing, the feelings will follow. But if you live on feelings, you'll never have the right actions. Emotions come and go. Is that true or false? They are so true. Emotions are just like icing on the cake. That's all. So I think, when Jesus looks at us men, when he looks at me, the number one measurement of whether I actually love Jesus and serve Jesus and devoted to Jesus is, do I love my wife? Am I devoted to her? And do I serve her before I serve anybody else? There's too many men that say they love Jesus, but they are distant from their wives. That cannot be. So a husband needs to lead by example. We, we read those two verses. Wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. And I get that. But men, we'll talk to the wives a little later. But men, we are not George S. Patton. We are not walking into our house giving orders. We're not a king. We're not a prince. We're not a duke, we're not an earl, we're not the duke of earl. We're not a dictator. We're not the boss of the home. Well, what am I if I'm not the boss of the home? Here's what you and I are, gentlemen. We are not the chief boss, we're the chief servant. We lead by example. Scripture does call the man. How many of you men are married? Hold your hand up. You're a married man. Hold your hand. Don't be ashamed. Go ahead and hold it up. You can hold it up a little higher. It's okay. Some of you guys are doing, does that mean you're halfway in, halfway out? What is it? So are you in? Are you in? Well, the scripture says if you're married, you're the head. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. 
It means you're first. Men say first. What do you mean first? Here's what it means. You're first to show kindness. You're on the hook. You're responsible. You lead. You show kindness when other people don't. You're the first to ask forgiveness. In most marriages, I like to ask, who's the quickest to ask for forgiveness? Well, fellas, it should be us. Uh, just out of curious, does anybody, any of you men know what forgiveness is? Have you have ever dared, dared ask your wife for forgiveness? <laughs> There's a lot of marriages where nobody has ever asked anybody for forgiveness. If, you, if you're real slow to ask for forgiveness or you've never asked for forgiveness, it usually means this, you're Mr. Perfect. And you never make a mistake, you never mess up. Being the head means you're the first to serve. You're not passive, you're the first to take responsibility. And ladies, single ladies, that's the kind of man you want to marry. I have thought this for a long time. I will say it. I don't know if it's true or not. I think there's about 10 good women for every one good man. I've made my life observing people. Why is that? Because our culture is so hard on men because men are the ones that can make or destroy our culture. A lot of men never had a good example. No one ever mentored them. No one ever discipled them. They don't know how to be a godly man. And they just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. So if you're the head, you're the one that should build the bridge back when there's a conflict in the home and sit everybody down, sit your wife down, find out why there's a wall, Find out what you did and just ask for forgiveness. Now, out of curiosity, who would be our example, men? Just out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity. Out of curiosity. Remember, the answer is always on the screen. Sometimes I put a picture up, third grade level. So who would be our example? Who would that be? In church, if the answer, whatever it is, usually the answer is Jesus, Okay. So Jesus is the example because that's how he treats us, right? He is the reconciler. He's the one that came for us. He's the one that attempted to build bridges. He's the one that forgives. Aren't you glad he forgives? I'm glad he forgives. He's the one that said, I will love you with an everlasting love. I'll never stop loving you. And fellas, to be honest, it takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of wisdom to love your wife for 60 years as Christ loved the church. But that's your example. You say, well, what if, what if I've been married before and I've had several failed relationships? Get it right from here on. Do the right thing. 
So if a man will love his wife as Christ loved the church, if he will indeed lay his life down for her, I believe it is pretty easy for a woman and children to follow that man's lead because she trusts him. She's seen him walk over a period of time. And brothers, please listen. I don't want any man to leave this room discouraged, saying, oh, I could never do that. This is too overwhelming. And I don't want any wife to leave this place angry because my husband's not that. We can't go there. But any man in this room or any man watching online can grow into this. If I can change, any person can change. Someone say amen, please. Thank you. Thank you for all your help. It's awfully appreciated. <clears throat> so what we are to do, according to verse 25, is to give ourselves up for our wife as Christ gave himself up for the church. Now, this is one of the most important words I will share with you. It is not a word we use in our culture. It is a life-changing word if you can get your head around it. It's the word deference. Everyone say deference. One more time, deference. What is it? I don't even know what it is. Here's what it is. That a husband will choose the attitude that I will show my wife deference by giving her preference and what she needs and what she wants and even what she thinks. It doesn't mean I have to quickly go along with it, but she is so important. Her needs have to come before mine. That is deference. If you can't learn deference, you will never have a good family. You will never be a good employee. If you, have a, if, if you are going to own a company, just close it down now. This word deference. It is demonstrated, again, who's our example? Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. Say this out loud with me, please. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others, what? Better than yourself. That's leadership. Let's read this other part. Say it. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Christ made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in the form of man. If you have a man that's serving his wife, and you have a wife is serving her man. You know what you got? You got a great marriage. But it always has to start with one of them. And fellas, I'm saying you and I need to be that one. <clears throat> now, I read it. But most people that taught this passage, they leave this verse out to the detriment of people that hear. Because that verse, verse 21 says, let everybody be in subject to one another. If a husband thinks this, whether he's 25 
or he's 85, and this is how he approaches his wife. Woman, get in line. Submit yourself. Remember, woman, I am the head. And let me go back to a slide. I don't say, woman, get in line. I say to all of us, we all ought to get in line. Someone say amen to that. All of us ought to get in line. <clears throat> the verse, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, is a true verse. But when he comes across, if a man throws that verse up. Now, I haven't heard it so much in the last 10 years or so as I heard it 20 and 30 years ago. Do you know why? Because most people don't know the Bible at all. They have no idea what it says, so they can't quote anything. But if a man throws that verse up to his wife, hey, right here in the Bible, it says this. Hey, right here in the Bible, it says I'm the head. You got to submit because that's what the Bible says. Can I tell you what I know automatically about that deal? Their marriage is in trouble. They lifted the verse out of context. They're not seeing what their role is. They just want to make their wife do what they want them to do. And here's the third thing if I hear somebody say, a man say that. They do not understand the principle of leadership. On a football team, for an airline, in a military unit, at a church, they don't get it. They don't understand. They got the wrong focus. Can they get the right focus? Absolutely. If I got it, anybody can get it. Let me prove it. Are you ready? <clears throat> you ready? How many verses address the wife in this passage? Remember, the answer is on the screen. That would be how many? Two. Take a wild guess. Take a holy guess. How many verses are focused on us big boys, us men, us guys with testosterone? How many? Somebody take a guess. How many take a guess? The answer would be nine. What does that say? That Jesus knows us men have a harder time figuring it out. That's what that means. And he also knows the role of a husband is far more challenging than he can understand. So he's got to say it and demonstrate it many more times. Uh, here's how this works practically. If any woman in France, any woman in Topeka, Kansas, if any woman in Atlanta, Georgia, or, or uh, Kiev, Ukraine, if they have a husband that loves them like Christ loved the church, that is willing to lay his life down for her, let me tell you what will happen in the wife's heart. Her admiration will grow for him. Her respect will grow for him. She will love him and trust his cause and his leadership. That when they get into an impossible situation that they can't figure out, and the wife says, Honey, <clears throat> take the lead here. 
And whatever you think we should do, I'm going to support you and back you, and we're on together because I've seen you over 20 years make good decisions. Uh, is this making sense? I'm sorry, is this making sense? Are you, are you with me? <clears throat> now, last couple of years, because I love leadership, I've read two books <laughs> written by staff members at the White House. And they observed various presidents that were in office for four years or eight years, their wives. <clears throat> and they commented on how they were treated. And the books talked about how some presidents and their wives were respectful of every person in the White House. And they were appreciative of the person that vacuumed the floor. They were appreciative and respectful of the plumber. They were appreciative of, of uh, the security people. They were appreciative of, of senators and congressmen that came. They were respectful of the people who looked after them, who fixed their food and brought their food. That was on one hand because those people understood leadership. And then there was a whole other group that felt like they were owed it. And they were demeaning, and they were rough, and they were unappreciative, and they were caustic. Now, here's what your pastor is saying. I hope everyone will write this down somewhere in the margin of your outline. True respect is earned and never demanded it. If a football coach at Penn State's has to say to his players and his staff that he demands their respect, he's going to be fired in three months. If a pastor says that, if an owner of a business says that, or if a husband says it, you're in trouble. Paul says next in verse 26, a husband is to sanctify, a word we don't use a lot, say the word sanctify their wives with the washing of the word. There's several beautiful Greek pictures of what this complicated word means. It means this deal, this relationship is holy. It's different from everything else. I need in my heart to consecrate this as different. I need to prize it. I need to value it. It is set apart. Everyone say set apart. Which means out of all the people that you or I may love and trust, there's got to be one person in our heart that's at the top of the list. They are set apart. Sanctifying her by washing in the word does not mean he's going to give her a Bible bath. <clears throat> I've seen some husbands quote the Bible. If they could, they would swing a 60-pound Bible at her. They would say, you're going to that women's retreat or you're going to that Bible study or we're going to memorize in King James the entire book of Psalms until you get it right or you're going to hold my hand and we're going to pray until you submit. I go, uh, 
you don't understand. The husband, here's what it means. He realizes he has a very important responsibility in the eyes of God. You choose to get married, you better think about this first. You have a grave responsibility in the eyes of God for the your wife's future. You're on the hook for her. And you better set her aside as special, <clears throat> as a treasure, as a huge blessing and treat her that way. You have sanctified her because the word has not been forced on her. The word is in your heart. And you know what Jesus says. She is separate. Everyone say separate. What do you mean separate? Does that mean we sleep in two beds at night? We've been doing that a long time. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It means she is above all other people in your heart. You love her more than your kids. You love her more than your hobbies. <clears throat> you love her more than your parents. You love her more than, this is a hard one, than yourself. She's above. I sanctify her in my heart. You say, Steve, is this natural for a man? What do you think? Absolutely not. This has to be taught. The Holy Spirit has to give revelation. You have to see it, maybe some other place. It is supernatural. It is a sovereign work of God for an average, old, selfish, arrogant, detached man like myself to make the change. But any of us can. <clears throat> no matter how far a man away is from God, God can help him. We'll talk about what a wife does to help him get there. Because the way a husband loves God <clears throat> should make his wife want to love God too. And draw closer to it. It is the drawing. Sanctification means holiness. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the goodness of God. It is a work of the mercy of God. And all of us can grow closer and impact others. The wife is set apart and valued like nobody else in her husband's life. Fellas, I'm telling you, you can turn your marriage around today. Today. One day. I'm not saying you get it fixed. I'm not saying you understand it all. But you can make the turn. You can go, wow, I need, I need to change. I need to be a better person. This is not about her. This is about me. Jesus, help me be the man you want me to be. 
And, and it, it is, in one hand, it's not easy, but on one hand, it's simple. What do you mean? If you just determine from this day on, <clears throat> I'm going to treat my woman better than any other person on earth every day. And when I get it wrong, I will ask forgiveness and I'll man up. Who do I want to be treated that way? Everybody does. People that get treated this way at work, they stay at that job. People that have neighbors and treat them way, they want to stay in that neighborhood. When you have people in your family that treat you good, you want to be with them. It's very sad. For many years, I've tried to help people in their marriages. Some I've helped, some I couldn't help. But here's, 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 here's how it goes most of the time. And often it's Christians. A man will often treat his wife worse than anybody else. He stands before a pastor and says he will love her forever. And five years later, he doesn't want to be with her. He's angry. He's critical. He's surly. He will treat a perfect stranger better than his own wife. And it's wrong. And it doesn't please God. It doesn't help anybody. And you can change. Because one day, all of us men, maybe you've not figured this out. One of these days, all of us are going to stand before Jesus and are saved. And we're going to be rewarded for our faithfulness. And one of the lines on the evaluation will be, how did you serve me by loving your wife? I mean, you took vows. If you're not going to keep your vows, don't take them. These are not words. You're telling the Holy One that you will love your wife as Christ loved the church until the day she dies or the day you die. You can change today. Nobody does it perfectly. What do I do, Steve? You get up from here. And you tell God, I want to learn to love my wife. I want to speak kind words to her. I want to treat her better than anybody on the face of the earth. And we can get better. We can be happier. We can sleep better at night. And over all these years, here's the amazing thing. Often wives have lost all hope of their husband changing a fraction. And when she sees him change 5%, she thinks it's her birthday. He finally got around to saying, I was sorry. He finally got around to cleaning up after himself. He finally got around to saying, honey, I want you to know I love you today with all my heart. Because he hadn't said it in 20 years. Guys, we can do this. Brothers. Brothers, 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 this is bigger than you. This is bigger than your house. 
This is bigger than you and your wife because every time you as a leader love your woman, it impacts our city, it impacts your kids, your grandchildren, it impacts people that don't know Jesus in your neighborhood because they see God. They see God. Number five, we have to learn to nourish our wives. What do you mean nourish? Well, we're pretty good at taking care of ourselves. We, we really take good care of ourselves because no one hates your own body. <clears throat> What's that look like? Well, think, 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 please. Us men, you guys will wash your truck and treat it like it's worth $30 million. If one scratch gets on it, you're trying to buff it out. You get your tires, you get the leather, you get everything fixed. I mean, you'll put $75,000 in that truck. You will clean your gun collection. You will clean your golf clubs. You will, I've seen men get out in the dirt and clean the tines of their rototiller. They will sharpen it. They will put new plugs in it. They will make sure it's working perfectly. And they won't give their wife the time of day. you got to break that mold and think, what can I do today to be kind to my wife? What does she want done? What has she wanted done for five years that I've never got around to? Here's the next thing the scripture says. Men, say it with me, please. Men, we are to cherish. Say it. We are to cherish our wives. What does that mean? I put on new glasses. I see my wife differently. I see her as a great gift from God. She is my greatest earthly asset. She is a treasure. Not a trash dump. I mean, she's a treasure. Treat her like a treasure. Treat her that way. Which means don't you ever disrespect her. Don't. Don't you ever raise your voice to her. Don't ever. A man should never put his hand on a woman in an angry way. A man, a husband should never make his wife feel threatened. She must feel safe around you if she's safe around anybody. Why, Steve? Because if you do this stupid stuff, she's going to lose her love for you. So don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it because everyone will lose. No condescension. You may think you're smarter than her, but you're probably not. You may think you know what you're talking about. You probably don't. Stop criticizing her. Stop it. And for goodness sakes, stop your stupid complaining about stuff that doesn't matter. Some of you just whine all the time about your wives. Stop it. If you woke up this morning in the Gaza Strip... You wouldn't complain about what your wife does or doesn't do. Men, say this with me, please, from, uh, from Ephesians 4. Let no, say it, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, 
but only such a word that's good for edification according to the need of the moment, moment that it may give grace to hear. If it's not going to lift her or strengthen her, you shouldn't say it. Now here, here's, here's a, a gem. Here's a diamond. Here's a diamond. If you will refer to your wife and if you will treat her as the absolutely best person you know on the planet Earth, guess what will happen? If you speak that word over her and to other people, guess what will happen? She will become that person. She will become that person. Worship team, would you guys come out, please? Now, this is not in the passage we read, but I just got to touch on it. Fellas, if you figure this out, you're going to have a happier home. What does it say? It says four things. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way. What does that mean? You've got to be patient with your wife versus being impatient or critical. And here's a little statement. You got to give your wife and your kids room to fail. She's not going to be perfect all the time. Your kids aren't going to be perfect all the time. Guess what? You're far from perfect. So stop holding her to that standard. B, protect her at all times as the weaker vessel. Now that's what that verse says. As someone that's weaker since she's a woman. Let me get let me say time out that doesn't mean she's the weaker person I've seen women that were stronger than I am physically that could bench press me twice They're, your wife may be smarter than you your wife may have more gifts, gifts than you but you gotta think like this I'm the husband I need to look after her I'm the husband I need to protect her at all times because a tendency for men when they don't know what to do is to be passive and do nothing. You see the picture on the screen? I have this theory, men, that we are built by God for pressure. Maybe our wives not so much. Why don't you intervene and take them out of that pressure? You take it. Always give her honor before yourself. Show her honor as a fellow heir. What does that mean? You introduce your wife to your friends. You always speak highly of your wife to everyone all the time. You give her honor. And the last one, which is so vital. I went years and didn't see this. This is the worst thing God could ever do to me. There's nothing worse. He puts in a stern warning here. A threat, actually. That if you don't take care of the gift I gave you, if you don't treasure her and cherish her and nourish her, here's what I'm going to do, Steve. 
You know that prayer life that you love so much? You know the time you spend with me in prayer? Guess what? I'm going to push the, the mute button on you for a while. Because you're not listening, you don't get it, and your heart is hard toward her. So when you confess and you start loving and showing kindness to her, then you and I will start talking again. Now, folks, let me say that this that I've shared today, I don't do it perfectly, but it's dear to my heart because of this. You see this? This is my first church. I was supposed to be there a year, and I stayed five years, seven years. A little church of 50 people that grew quite a bit. We lived in a little house to the left of the church, 50 feet away. We didn't have any money. Kids were little. I would walk in prayer every day down the road, the country road to the right of the church. So I'm standing. I'm about to walk. That was a gravel parking lot at the time, and I'm about to walk and spend my time in prayer when the Holy Spirit shows up and he speaks directly to my heart, and he says this. Because I was the nag in our marriage. I started a lot of conversations out saying, you need to do this. You shouldn't do that. I need you to do this. I didn't realize I was a nag. But here's what he said to me. Take your claws out of her neck. Stop trying to change her. Shut your mouth. Don't you dare criticize her again. If you're not happy with what she's doing, you talk to me about it and leave her alone. And if anything comes out of your mouth to your wife that I gave you, it better be to lift her and build her. Here's what I did that day. It's unusual because he didn't speak like that to me that much. But I put my right hand to my forehead and I said, yes, sir. I will change and keep my mouth shut Starting today, we've been married five years. It took all the pressure off because I didn't have to fix her anymore. And guess what it did for Sue? Can you guess? All the pressure was off her. And I watched my wonderful little pastor's wife start blooming and growing and blossoming. Two years later, I'm in the same spot going to pray. And the Holy One showed up again in the gravel parking lot. And here's what he asked me. He said, Steve, where is she today? I said, what do you mean? Where is she today and what you want her to do? And I said, oh, Lord, she's doing everything I've always wanted. And I've never said a word. During the next moments, this is a time. Maybe your heart has been hard to your wife. You've been unkind to her. And the Holy Spirit is telling you, start anew today. 
To every head bowed, every eye closed. The altars be open and people will minister to you. But if you need to repent, tell Jesus now that you're sorry, men, the way you've treated your wives. Ask him for a new heart. And tell him, I'm starting anew today. Father, for anyone in the room or watching this, never given their heart to Christ, may they simply say, Jesus, I surrender. Make me your child today. In Jesus' name. As we worship through this last song, respond any way the Lord tells you, if it's in your seat or at the front, with somebody to pray with you. continue to pray and worship. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. Every pulse held captive by suppression, I speak Jesus. Your name is
you, but I just feel that I've got to step up my game and be the best man of God that God's called me to be for my wife and my family, and I want to do that. And years ago, I don't don't know if anybody did their best to screw up their marriage like I did, but my wife introduced me to Jesus one night, and that changed the whole dynamic, and by God's grace, we'll be married 40 years uh, next year, and and we're more in love with each other now than ever before. And our goal as a couple is to love each other the last day we see each other, more on that day than any other day. I remember coming home after after I gave my life to Jesus, and my family forgave me, and I realized that God had forgiven me. Came home after a men's event. And I asked my wife and my daughter to take their shoes off. I proceeded to wash their feet. And I made this vow to them that night. I said, you will never, ever regret taking me back. And I'm going to be the best man of God I can possibly be. 
from this day moving forward to serve both of you for the rest of my life. And we're going to follow Jesus in this home. And we're never going to look back. You know, our friends, we've never looked back. He's been faithful. Father, I pray for miracles of reconciliation. I pray for the men that they be the first to forgive, the first to love, the guardians of peace in their home, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, royal priesthood, a priest unto their God, and a priest serving their family. I pray your blessing over all of us. Minister to us in the power of your love. Jesus, you you gave us this command. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the bar. And who can do that but those of us that trust in your power and your grace. So we thank you for, for that power and that grace that you give us when we fail. And we thank you for the calling of God's love and grace in our lives today. We love you. Help us love our families that way in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave, one last, one last announcement. For all the couples that are here, we have one last Grace Marriage session next Saturday at 8 o'clock. You're all welcome to attend, even if you didn't register. Just show up. We'll tell you what you need to do. Call the church this week. We'll make sure that you can be part of that last session. It'll be amazing. You can come if you haven't been to the previous ones. God bless you. joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.